Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is the one, 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 one year anniversary of the Killinois Podcast. No intro needed because we're going to get right down to fucking business. This is Bird, and as always with me, my partner in true crime, um, the Watson to my Sherlock Holmes. Um, come on, give me some more of the damn things, pal. Uh... Uh, the, peanut butter and jelly, I don't know, I panic. The peanut butter and jelly, uh, this, the, the, Jerry Lewis to my Dean Martin. Cam, Cam, how are we doing, my love? I'm fantastic, I'm really excited about this yeah. overall case we'll be discussing. Oh yeah, and this is going to be, um, a two-part, uh, O.J. Simpson, I mean, it's relevant <laughs> with the 25th year anniversary of these murders that occurred, um, and we were trying to get this down, what, Thursday, Friday recording is on a Sunday, and I'm going to be in Camps Neck of the Woods in St. Louis to record part two tomorrow, whenever you guys listen to this. But while this, you know, we were planning on recording and, you know, technical difficulties and life happens and stuff, and we see OJ has a new Twitter, like, that's just fucking wild. And I mean, 600,000 followers within the last day. If you guys could follow me, that would be great. I want to be that important, too. I wish, I wish, same, same, same. So, um, without further ado, before we do that, can you just hit the good people with a disclaimer? Absolutely. So, don't know why OJ first off is on Twitter, but he is. Yeah. Anyways, we want to thank everybody for listening, for commenting, for liking, for sharing our posts. Um, we couldn't do it without you guys. Uh, we do want to remind everyone we are here to uh, report. That is our job. We w- we do get various information from various websites, news articles, police reports, and so on and so forth. Uh, so if there's anything that does not seem right or accurate, please let us know. We will fix it. You can hit us up on Illinois with Bird and Cam or our new Facebook page, K-Pod. Um, again, if there's anything that doesn't seem right or offensive, do let us know. Uh, if you are ever in a situation where you feel like you can't get out, please call your local crisis hotline. Um, yeah, that's that's about it. <laughs> yeah, and um, as uh, with this week, last week when we had a, a very special guest who um, actually covered the case in full detail than we did, uh, we're going to do it a, kind of a little bit differently. We're going to use OJ's words himself. Now, obviously, it's a we don't know if that's just the real truth. I, it's kind of easy to say that. It's not for a lot of descriptions, but uh, the 2006 autobiography, If I Did It, which is just probably depending on what spectrum you are, it's just the most rubbing salt and piss in the wound of a book title that I've ever heard. So I just had to be remiss to say that. But um, Orenthal James Simpson was born in San Francisco, California on July 7, 1947. And OJ's parents separated when he was four and neither had remarried. And according to himself in that uh, 2006 uh, autobiography, um, he would comment on the situation in the aftermath of divorce, saying, my father stayed in the picture. Uh, the marriage hadn't worked out, but that didn't turn him into enemies. He was always around, and that was an important lesson for me. When a marriage fails, he goes on to say, it doesn't give either parent an excuse to disappear. You have to be there for your kids. And I find that quote interesting in two, for two reasons, Cam. How yeah. the dissolution of a marriage will play into his life. 
into during his later years, leading to this story, and also what it does to someone growing up. Uh, just last week, we were talking about Jake Pat- Patterson's parents and how their divorce may have potentially altered his psyche, leading him to those drastic things. And also, again, you, you know, you've experienced, you know, with your parents divorcing as a kid, yeah. and you were able to come out okay. Well, yeah, average at best, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, but it is, I do agree with him. It is very, very important for both parents after a divorce or a separation to stay together as a united force as friends, because no matter what's happened between them, it's about your kids. And so I do find that a very, um, important note to live by. However, um, I don't believe OJ really, um, abided by this, but my spectrum of OJ Simpson is, I think he's guilty. I know he's found not guilty in this case is considered a, um, unsolved case, but that is just my opinion. Um, so despite OJ's father being in his life after leaving his mother, OJ still encountered a pretty troubled adolescence. So he actually joined a neighborhood street game called the Persian Warriors. And it would be probably about three or four times he was arrested during his teenage years. It wasn't until after his third arrest he had a chance uh, meeting with Willie Mays, during, who was actually a um, basketball, or basketball, oh my, oh my gosh, God, baseball yeah. star. Oh, Sorry. Yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, which was a baseball star who encouraged Simpson to avoid trouble. And this actually helped him uh, pretty much be reformed. So in, 1970, in a 1977 interview with Rolling Stone, Simpson actually describes the meeting saying that I was 17 at the age where I was very impressionable. So I went over to Willie's house and it was amazing. Willie Mays, he says, oh, hey, OJ, how's it going? So we talked and he was doing quite a lot of things and we spent the day together. People were coming and going, but I was there for the day. It wasn't a, any heavy sit down rap about don't get in trouble. It was just about the ability, man. I was all city halfback and I was amazing in all and into all sorts of sports. Um, he would tell me that you got so much ability and what I really wanted to be was a professional baseball or football player. And he would just tell me just your ability can get you over. You got the ability. Don't screw it up, man. OJ continues saying, I was riding home to the projects, and I was still mesmerized by the whole thing. You know how something happens and you can't believe it happened? It's hard to believe I'd seen Willie play ball. I don't know how many times. And man, to see him to get in that big Chrysler that he used to drive, I was saying to myself, I'm going to be just like him. So, so let's talk about that ability, which is mainly, solely to be honest, this is the reason why this got any notoriety to speak of in the first place, football. Simpson was an all-city football player in Galileo High School, and then enrolled to the City College of San Francisco in 1965. And he played football at that school both ways as a running back and a defensive back. And can you think of that, Cam? This in this day and I said that used to be like a big thing in the, like the 50s, in, in the early days of football, where you had like guys who were like defensive end and offensive linemen. Like, See, they're playing two ways for 60 uh, minutes. That's, like, yeah. They're fucking good. It reminds me of, um, I, since I was a soccer player, you know, we had our offense, we had our defense. Mm-hmm. And we had our midfielders who played both offense and defense. We had, right. you know, like, so oh. it's it's a good way to compare it to. But mm-hmm. it's a lot of running, and it's a lot of 
Yeah, I shudder to think that's CTE. Oh, so he was named to the junior college All-American team as a running back, and soon after that, his exploits caught the attention of the University of Southern California Trojans, his favorite team growing up, and they convinced OJ to transfer to their school for the 1967 season. In his first season, Simpson led the nation in rushing both years and with 19, oh, with 1,543 yards and 13 touchdowns in 1967, and in 1968 with 1,880 yards on 383 carries. And as a junior in 1967, Simpson was named Walter Camp Award for the nation's outstanding player. On top of that, he was an all-consensus All-American and a close runner-up in the Heisman Trophy. In that year's victory bell rivalry game, with UCLA against USC, USC was down by six points in the fourth quarter with under 11 minutes to go. On third and seven, Simpson ran the ball 64 yards for a touchdown to lead USC to a comeback 21-20 victory, which earned them the national championship. The following year, Simpson rushed for 1,709. These are fucking video game stats. Like, you put it on easy, and you got yeah. the sliders and shit. And he rushed for 1,709 yards and 22 touchdowns in like 12 games. Hi. Christ, he was unstoppable. He was fucking unstoppable. And like, and if you see like his highlights, um, they're really, they're really like I, I the ball. They're crazy to watch. Yeah. So in 1968, uh, he won the Heisman Trophy, the Maxwell World Maxwell It's five o'clock, and I'm fucking up words already. <laughs> <laughs> the Maxwell Award and repeated as Walter Kent. Uh, trophy recipient, and he still holds the record for the Heisman's largest margin of victory, as he defeated runner-up Leroy Keys by 1,750 points. Like, you you really must have fucked shit up that year to, like, win by that much of a margin. Defeated him. You destroyed him. There's oh. no competition. <laughs> so, as a top prospect from college, OJ was selected number one in the NFL 1969 draft by the Buffalo Bills. And he played for 11 seasons, primarily with the Bills from 1969 to 1977 and the 49ers from 1978 to 1973. In 1979, I should say. In 1973, he became the first NFL player to rush for more than 2,000 yards in a season. And this was especially, and this is still a very special uh mark to get 2,000 yards in the season it's like uh it's very obviously it's very rare when because OJ by the time OJ was did that the league was in existence for about 50 over 50 years but even more incredible is that happened when the league was only playing 14 games a season Oh, wow. And that said that he still holds the record for the single-season yards per game average, which stands at 143 yards a game. That's fucking insane. That's awesome. Oh. That's that's uh, a couple touchdowns. It's yeah. fine. So <laughs> for, <a smidge. laughs> for his efforts, he would be named the 1973 NFL Most Valuable Player in 1975 en route to his third rushing title in five seasons. Simpson would set the single-game rushing record when he rushed for 273 yards on Thanksgiving Day against the Lions. When Simpson retired in 1979, he finished with 11,236 yards, 61 touchdowns, and 4.7 yards per attempt. When he retired, he was second on the all-time rushing list. He ended up with five Pro Bowls, five first-team All-Pro selections, 
the aforementioned NFL Most Valuable Player in 1973, alongside Offensive Player of the Year, AP Athlete of the Rear, the Rear, <laughs> the AP Athlete of the Rear, maybe did that when he was in prison uh, for the robbery charge, but the AP Athlete of the Year, the four-time rushing title, two-time rushing touchdowns leader, 1970s All-Decade Team, and 75th All-Time Team. And when it was all said and done, Camp, Samson would be inducted to the Pro Football Hall of Fame and College Football Hall of Fame in both 1985 and 1983, respectively. And in 2010, he would be named the 40th greatest player in the history of the league by NFL.com. And one more stat, Cam. OJ played 135 games in 12 years. He never wore gloves. So you can say he was the average at best. Yes. He he, he played 135 games in 12 years, and he never wore gloves. Remember that. He doesn't like gloves, guys. Oh, boy. Or does he? Does he love gloves? We don't know. Oh, we will talk about that. So, during his football uh, career, and well after, OJ gained even more visibility for his abilities off the field as well. In addition to being the pitchman for the iconic 70s Hurt commercials, which always showed him running late to the airport, leaping, leaping over the fences and cars and piles of luggage to catch his flight, he also received acting roles in such movies and TV shows such as Towering Inferno, Roots, and the Naked Gun trilogy. Of have, the you ever seen and naked, have you ever seen a Naked Gun? You know, I feel that like I like have, up but your I don't boat. remember him. It's... And that's was the he, first, is he a good actor? He, well, look, I'm not saying he ain't no Denzel Washington by any stretch of the imagination, but, I mean, it's OJ. Like, and I think that's, like, I guess it's it's hard for us to say because we were young, you know, when all this shit went down. Like, we were only two when the murders happened, but, like, if you talk to, like, I've talked to, like, my older brother, and I was like, how big was OJ? Like, he was like, that was the motherfucking man. Like... In the 70s, especially the 80s. But, like, that's the thing, though. It's like, okay, you could be a great athlete. It doesn't mean you're a good actor. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm just dancing around the question. But, I mean, he wasn't when when I've seen him in, like, the the Naked Gun. Like, he was good for what he was. Like, how did the movie set up? Huh? Oh, come on. Again, I didn't say he was Denzel Washington or Will Smith. But, like, you need to watch the Naked Gun. Okay, I'll let it's you guys know hilarious. because um, I just so, no some you know some athletes can turn into or like singers can turn into actors, actors turn into singers, vice versa, but not always. Yeah. <laughs> so, but like you were saying, everybody talked about O.J. Simpson back then, and so it was really hard, especially for us at our age, um, to understand that O.J. Simpson was one of the most recognizable people in the country. So with a photogenic, squeaky clean image with massive crossover appeal from sports to film and TV, O.J. Simpson was also one of the first African-Americans to be, I guess, taken in like beloved by the white people. Um, And it's really important to note that because the nation was just only decades removed from the civil rights movement. And indeed, there had been athletes like Muhammad Ali and Jackie Robinson before who were much more influential than O.J. Simpson. But. Why were Ali and Robinson that influential? Because not only for their transcending athletic abilities, but the way they used their platform to speak out against injustice. 
And those acts actually paved the way for athletes in the generation of O.J. Simpson. But what set O.J. apart, maybe to the ire of Black America at the time, was he simply didn't identify with uh, Black cousins uh, as his protesters and even uh, contemporaries, namely basketball star Kareem Abdul. Oh, yeah, I remember Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> Sorry about that. I was like, I remember him. Uh, there's a famous line that OJ said, I'm not black. I'm not OJ. No, I'm not black. Was, I'm OJ. Oh, it says I'm not black. I'm I, not OJ. I, I, I fucked up on the notes, but like, I'm, I'm, I'm not, not black. black. I'm, I'm OJ. OJ. So, and that's why I was like, what? Okay. So what he really wants to be looked at is freshly squeezed oranges. Yes. No Pope. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I guess kind of like, like piggyback on that. He, if you really watch, like if you watch that documentary, um, O.J. Simpson made in America. Like, there was a scene where this is, like, in the late 60s. He was at this banquet, and this white lady was, like... she In the same sentence, she had said something like, Oh, all these niggers. And, oh, my God, it's O.J. Simpson. And he, O.J. was with uh, a friend who was also black. And O.J. had this... The friend had said that O.J. had this shocked look, and you would think he would have been offended at what the lady had said. He's like, oh, my God, she know my name. So it was just so how he was, I guess, this so seemingly detached, or detached, I have to say, from the issues of that time. And he was uh, one thing that you would see in 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 the, in the trial and everything that happened was OJ was somebody who who really cared about his image and how he was seen to everybody. He thought everybody. he was God. He thought he was God. Yeah. Yeah, and even with, like, the people he surrounded himself with, like, you did not, it it was not, again, like a Muhammad Ali or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, or, yeah, it's just, yeah, OJ, yeah, yeah, I think that's exactly right, Cam. So, at the end of his career, for all his successes in football and Hollywood, Simpson, however, found himself in a personal crisis. By 1977, he had been married to his childhood sweetheart Margaret Wett for 10 years and had two children Jason Arnell with a third on the way a daughter who drowned when she was only two but as they approached their 10-year anniversary the couple which had been on shaky ground for years mutually decided to separate and divorce a following morning after that talk that they had essentially ending the marriage Simpson had left his Los Angeles mansion to go on business as he made way down the street heading back to the car he ran to a guy he knew, and they went off to have breakfast at a nearby restaurant in Beverly Hills called The Daisy. And it was there that a young 18-year-old waitress came. And as OJ describes it in If I Did It, she was a stunner. Blonde, slim, and bright-eyed with a smile that could knock a man over, quote-unquote. Who are you? he asked. Nicole. Nicole what? Nicole Brown. How come I've never seen you before? I just started here. So Nicole Brown was born on May 19, 1959, in Frankfurt, West Germany, to Judith and Louis Lou Brown. She attended Rancho Alamitos High School in Garden Grove, California, and later Dana Hills High School in Dana Point, California, which she graduated only a month before she met OJ. So if anybody can remember when they graduated, when they're 18, I was a child then. <laughs> so now that I'm almost 10 years older, 18, oh, you are still a child. Yeah. And he was so, what? He was 30 
He was 30 when yeah, he Yeah, he was twice her age. But you know the crazy, um, you know what the fucked up thing is? Like, I know people, like, and this is much more of a commonality than when than many would think. Like, those people, there were freshmen, like, in high school who would have, like, 24-year-old boyfriends. Yeah. And that shit was, like, pile. that was, like, normal. That you, That's, like, R. Kelly shit. But, like, that that's, happened. That, that man's a pedophile. Yeah. That's all I have to say. Not, I mean, technically, OJ's not because well, she's eighteen. Well, technically, no, yeah, but yeah, I mean, it, a freshman in high school, a twenty-four-year-old is not is not looking for a fourteen-year-old. Oh yeah. Normally. Oh yeah, that's uh, yeah. Normally, that's unless you're a pedophile. Um, but we'll get to that on a different date. Um, so, anyways, this was uh, Nicole only graduated a month before she met OJ from high school. So, for the next month, the following month, O.J. saw Nicole almost every single day until it was time to leave for football. As O.J. wrote in If I Did It, he said, I missed her, and I spoke to her constantly. I also spoke to Marguerite, of course, to see how the kids were doing and to make sure the pregnancy was going okay. But I was pretty confused. I had a wife back home with a third kid on the way, and I was already in falling in love with another woman. I found myself pretty much living two lives, one with Marguerite as an estranged husband and father of three, and the other with Nicole, my new love. So that brings my attention, living two lives. So he's used to living two lives. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, we get to that also. So after the divorce between Marguerite and OJ was finalized in 1979, Nicole and OJ became a uh, official couple. And she began pushing for OJ, 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 OJ. Who the fuck is I am on a roll, Cam. I'm just on a fucking roll. But Nicole began pushing for OJ to engage or to propose to her. But OJ's a mission. This would cause a couple to argue and fight, as OJ didn't want to get back into married life, given how his first one ended. But nevertheless, Nicole persisted in 1984, the couple was engaged. Now, Cam, there was an interesting tidbit during the early years of this relationship that I do want to pick your brain on, which I think is a microcosm or a harbinger of things to come. So, one night in 1984, the couple was in the middle of an argument. And as OJ says in the book, I went outside to get away from her. There was a tetherball hanging from one of the trees and a baseball bat lying nearby. And I picked up the bat, took a few hard swings at the ball. Nicole came out of the house and watched me for a few moments, still angry, glaring. And I crossed the driveway, sat on the hood of her convertible Mercedes and glared right back. I still had the bat in my hand, and I remember flipping it into the air and accidentally hitting one of the rims accidentally. Mm. Are you going to pay for that? She snapped. Yeah, I snapped back, and then took the bat and whacked the hood. And I guess I'll pay for that too, since it's my car, since I pay for everything around here. So Nicole goes to call 911, but at the last second, she balks. So you see, Cam, this documented rage, like an argument escalates to something that's just... Hmm. And I'm pretty sure in the years that you've been with Adam, by the way, happy four-year anniversary, um, there's been many arguments, I'm sure. But even in the worst of disagreements, I don't think he's it's ever went to a situation where he's going to put a bat to the jelly and then David Ortiz the motherfucker. What say you? Um. Well, if you ever touch jelly, I'm whooping your ass. But, <laughs> <laughs> but just kidding. Yeah, we've been in our fair share of arguments and have had our fair of ups and downs, but 
as a adult, you don't result to those type of uh, antics. You don't just jump the gun and get out all the outcomes that has adult. Each and everything we do has a like, reaction. And just because he's O.J. Simpson doesn't mean he can go around doing whatever the fuck he wants. And that's the issue we have with a lot of people today who thinks who think they can just go around doing what they want, not thinking about the outcome. Mm-hmm. Which, as you can see, the outcome's usually never good. Yeah, and I mean, it's just one of those things is that um, when they had been together about five years, and to when you have, again, that kind of rage where he is just destroying this Mercedes. Like, I, I, I don't, I can't see, conceivably see how... And what I'm, gets you so angry for you mm-hmm. to do that? Exactly. Exactly. And I and I do see um, Nicole foreseen to be engaged. But like, okay, it's O.J. Simpson. At the time, anybody would want to marry him because mm-hmm. at the time, O.J. Simpson was the biggest thing on the block. Right. And so I see why she wanted him to be him. And I don't know most of her background. She could have been just as aggressive. But... Then you need that. That's toxicity, and you you shouldn't be by that. You shouldn't be with that. Um, it's just frustrating because from the beginning they were fighting. That's not something that's normal in a relationship. You shouldn't be fighting from the beginning. Yeah. So, um, but back to OJ and Nicole. They end up getting married on February second, nineteen eighty five. So uh, happy Groundhog Day. And they actually got married at their newly newly built Rockingham house in the neighborhood of Brentwood, an exclusive Los Angeles neighborhood, before a ceremony of close friends and family. The couple would eventually have two children, Sydney and Justin. Now, while in the book, uh, If I Did It, O.J. would actually characterize the marriage for most of the part as, well, shit, if you read his autobiography, you'd think these motherfuckers were Ossie Davis and Ruby D. but... As we know, that's just a tad uh, misrepresentation. I'll say. So, case in point, New Year's Eve, 1989. Another incident, Nicole and OJ were at a party early in the evening at the home of a producer friend. They were hanging out with football, great and close friends, Marcus Allen and his girlfriend, Catherine. And Marcus had bought some expensive earrings for Catherine as a little, you know, New Year's gift. And I guess Nicole got a little jealous, according to OJ in his book. As soon as they got home after the party, and as they were doing the skiddly diddly giggly goom, suddenly Nicole just sat up and looked at OJ and says, do you have a little surprise for me? As she said, smiling uh, coyly. And he was confused. He goes, you know, or so he says, what surprise? She responds, uh, diamond earrings, maybe? And um, he would respond, what earrings? And seemingly getting irritated. Uh, he claims she wrote, you know, the one smart has got Catherine. And uh, quickly he responded with, what the hell are you talking about? Mm-hmm. And she would immediately, you know, from what it sounds like, Nicole sounds, you know, a little jealous. I don't know if it's because she, how a lot of people are today on social media, they want to make their life perfect. You know, OJ's been married before. She wants to be the one OJ loves forever. I don't know. I, we, we can't talk to her. Um, but anyways, they, they start going into it. Uh, Nicole starts saying, Catherine said you bought a pair of earrings just like the one she was wearing. Where are they? 
If you didn't get them for me, who'd you get them for? Well, OJ would start saying how you're crazy. I didn't get nobody, no damn earrings. And I'm not about to either. So in his book, you'll, if I did it, Mm -hmm. you can, I could honestly read the tension between just that conversation. Oh, and it's Uh, going to, it's going to escalate even more. There there seems to be sexual love than there is actual personal mm -hmm. emotional love. And I guess the thing is she was insinuating that he... Uh, was sleeping around, and oh yes, he. That is something that um, that goes without saying, and we'll get more detail as that goes along with a really specific story. But OJ would then say that um, his anger had set her angle to take her take her off, and she quote unquote, uh, she took a swing at me, and I grabbed her arm and literally dragged her out of bed and pulled her toward the door. Where are the goddamn earrings, she hollered, still taking swings at OJ. I understand that. Why are they getting so mad over a pair of earrings that he never said he got her in the first place? His words, and this is why, as we'll we'll say in further, why we think it's going to be a load of bullshit. But he snapped back, there are no damn earrings. Liar, who did you give the earrings to? I didn't give any goddamn earrings to anybody. There are no earrings. Now get out of here. I don't want you in my bedroom. OJ said that he pushed Nicole into the corridor and locked her out and then went back to bed. So keep that in mind, folks. He said that he grabbed her arm and dragged her to the corridor and pushed her out. So just keep That's that, all- folks, in mind. Keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. So as OJ said, finally she gave up and she can hear her leave. And OJ said that um, he went to sleep and only... Uh, a couple hours later, he would get awake from the police. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, I don't know where you're at right oh, now. Oh, no, I've described, I just, I just scrabbled dude because he was just saying a lot of like, oh, go yeah, away. So, like, she was, so from what you're saying is she was completely at fault. She mm-hmm. got mad because she assumed she was getting earrings because somebody else did. Right. He got mad at her for getting mad for no reason. Mind you, they just had sex. Mm-hmm. And then he throws her out of the room aggressively, right. according to OJ. Did I get that right? Yeah. Well, you get that. Yeah. And like he was saying, as he summarized it, um, they had been together for, quote unquote, we'd been together for 12 years. And in many ways, they'd been the best 12 years of my life. But it seemed that he said that most of 1989 had been tortured. He said that you never knew what was going to piss her off. And when she was pissed off, she could hold on to her anger for days. And he also later said that he wondered how long she was going to stay angry this time. She kept pounding on the door, swearing and calling him names. But he worried that she would take wake the kids and eventually the fight would win out for her. And he stormed off. She stormed off. See, that just... I find that interesting because from what it sounds like... Okay, so if Nicole is aggressive, you're still big enough to pretty much hold her from acting out or being violent mm-hmm. or being aggressive. Or if she smacks you around, it's not going to kill you. Right. But I don't know. I wasn't there. Yeah. Um, anyways, so according to after storming off, Nicole didn't come back for several several hours. According to... According to OJ, she actually went down to the precinct herself with the cops and they took a statement from her and had her post from pictures. 
And if you see these pictures, I mean, from what OJ says to no, what not the even pictures from what, say, to what the pictures say. Yeah, you're right. Um, you'll have to be Helen Keller not to notice that this image was of a woman who was physically abused. So the images don't just show her being shoved by the arm. And if we find them, we'll, we'll post them. Um, oh, they're all and, out there. Yeah, they're, they're easily so, defined. But, I mean, it's just I, I, when I kind of made an emphasis on the – when he said that he just dragged he, – he, he held her by the arm and he got her out of the quarter and that was it. That is uh, – that's just a crock of completely bullshit. There is no and way he brutalized the absolute shit out of her. And those so, pictures, and this is – this is what gets me a little confused, too, because we'll talk later, but from what it sounds like, OJ seems to have blackout moments, because he doesn't remember all this stuff mm-hmm. he did before dragging her out into the corridor, Right. but there's pictures speak a thousand words, and this is a prime example. You can say you didn't hit someone in the eyeball, but if you got in a scuffle with someone and they got a black eyeball, right? it's either they hit themselves, or you hit them, mm-hmm. and... I believe somewhere in the book too, he goes off on, "Oh, she must have just ran, must have just ran her whole body into the door." Who gets that mad if they're going to run their whole body into a door because they didn't get earrings? So, anyways, besides the pictures, this wasn't the first time she's went to the precinct being physically abused. So, in fact, there are multiple occasions that the police were called to the Simpson house on domestic altercations, and. Per usual, the cops were mesmerized by the celebrity of O.J., who, coincidentally, they were all kind of friends with him. And even invited them, he invited them in for coffee and, what a surprise, fucking donuts. <laughs> Trying to get them to overlook the actual this situation. Is, I'll, I'll be the good guy here. In the ESPN documentary, O.J. Simpson made in America, there's a former LAPD cop who actually admits to this. And here... Nicole was being brutalized frequently, and this wasn't on an isolated incident, and it, they did nothing. Why? Because it was O.J. Simpson, and that's bullshit. Two people are killed because the LAPD are like, ooh. Anyways. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and said, it kind of can kind of, like, the chime in, it's kind of like the, 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 the cruel irony in that. And this is an era where you have, not even a few years after that, you have the, uh, the... Rodney King incident, and it led to the riots. And then you have, in the years before that, you just have this documented um, uh, discord with African Americans and the LAPD. So to see the LAPD, you know, respond to something like this, actual a black man beating up a white woman, and then, and at the end of the day, Cam, it would be revealed that they had nine incident reports, uh, reports. And I bet you each fucking time they went in and had coffee and and motherfucking donuts. Exactly. And spoke to, again, the celebrity and that image of O.J. Simpson that he was so well-received and he was so well-liked by the public that it just shoehorned. And and even when um, this incident had actually, you know, with the images out there, the police were, they were forced to, like, you know, do action against him and he did get a domestic uh, assault charge but and it was even reported in the newspapers and stuff and the crazy thing for me is it seemed like everything was just 
pushed under the rug. And obviously, this is ni- this is 2019 compared to 1989. In this kind of Me Too environment that we live in, if you have like a famous celebrity, if they have a domestic assault charge and they have pictures out there, your your image you're fucked. Or or at the easy at the at the best case scenario, your image will take a brutal it's hit. Destroyed. Look at Chris this, Brown. This is what makes me so angry is this is the perfect example of an abuse cycle. Not only does this person convince everybody around the individual being abused that nothing's going on, they now have the police. And here's the worst part. If she wanted to go to court, she's literally going to have to relive each time she's been physically abused. Mm -hmm. And here's the best thing. It's going to take a long time for your lawyers, their lawyers, and the court to finish these proceedings. Mm -hmm. So it's unfortunate because I know people in this situation now that have been waiting and waiting months to go to court to put somebody behind bars because of what they did. And that person's, the culprit's lawyers just putting it off. And that person I know has to keep reliving, reliving this nightmare because they're, mm. they're a piece of shit. Mm. And it's a, OJ is a perfect example of being a narcissist. And from according to his book that he, oh, I just pulled her out. Oh, oh, she, you know, she could have got these, these in the scuffle. I'm sorry, but you shouldn't have been scuffling that much with somebody. You should never right. be scuffling like that with someone. I'm sorry, but. It makes me so angry that everybody knew she was getting beat. There's reports of her getting beat. But it's okay, it's OJ. Now we have two dead people on our hands, and we're not going to say, oh, it's okay, it's just OJ. Yeah, and like even the, it's just when the cop was on there, and he was just making, and he was crying, and I was like, well, I fucked up and all this shit. It's like, well, it's kind of too late to have that 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 he aha moment. Sit in jail. Yeah, he should be one of the many that should be sitting in jail. But but like um at, in the book, as he said specifically, uh, he quoted he said that I quote uh in their so called report, which I only read much later, they noted that there were bruises on her face and arms. That was about it. I could have told him about the bruises, the one on her arm, the ones on her arms. I put them there. Her face, I didn't hit her. But it's possible she hurt herself while we were scuffling. So he openly knows he put the bruises on her arm. Mm-hmm. So he was holding her hard enough to hurt her to make her realize that she's not going anywhere to leave marks on her. They believed him for his arms, but oh, no, 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 not her face. He he willingly bruised and, and, up her and, whole and, arms. And can't, he can't never touch her can't remind you, this man is six foot something, 200 plus, a former football player. It's gonna be a hell of a lot different if, say, it's me holding somebody's arm trying to. That's two different, two different uh, ends of the spectrum on that end. Fuck that, yeah. It's. That's what I'm saying. So you're right. He is six whatever tall, and he's mm-hmm. 200, 500 pounds. But it's not all in his hands. Yeah. So and that makes me mad. It's a prime example of an abusive individual that does not. If, if if these are true allegations, according to if I did it, because mm. he would never hurt Nicole, but he needed to prove a point for no fucking reason. Yeah, I, I, I don't even think it's even an act. It is. It's like fact that he abused her, and I think and he here's has that. People say, "Oh, well, she was aggressive. She was abusive." Okay, you're right. Mm-hmm. Maybe she was aggressive, right. but a girl who's how tall compared to OJ Simpson? 
how badly is she going to, unless she's stabbing him in the night like he stabbed her. Right. I'm pretty sure she will hit him. She is abusive. She is aggressive. So why are mm-hmm. you letting it continue, OJ? Why? Because she looks good on your right arm? Yeah. So, so nevertheless, the marriage persisted for another three years, and unfortunately so did the abuse, before finally, in 1992, Nicole filed for divorce. But, and again, it's alluding what you said about this cycle of, of, of abuse. Even during the time of the divorce proceedings, OJ confessed that he and Nicole were still in contact. And yes, I mean, as we've been talking for a good while about abuse, you also have to throw in the element of truth, not the element of truth, but the fact that you have two small kids involved. So, I mean, for as he said in the, and we said in the beginning of the episode, how he talked about um, still trying to be in, with his uh, parents after they divorced, and they were still in contact with, you know, he, the father was still involved in his life. So, yeah. right. And one thing I will say, um, for all the this shit that OJ, uh, for the worst of it, it, I do get a sense that, you know, he is a dedicated, he, he is a dedicated father. And I mean, and I haven't seen otherwise, but I will get it, that, that quote, what I said right there toward my theory of when things later happen. But, um, again, how can, that late. <laughs> the nature of the relationship during this period and, just leave it to the words of OJ himself because, yeah, they're still in contact, but then there are just incidents where it's just like, it's a severe, severe red flag. So one evening during this uh, time while OJ and his entourage had went out to the club and he decided on the way home, he decided to go to her house to see if she was still awake. And he parked on the street and approached the front door and as he drew close, he noticed lights in the window and went to have a closer look. And he saw that Nicole was on side on the couch with a friend of hers, Keith Slavovich, one of the partners at Mezzaluna, a Brentwood restaurant. And we will be talking about that restaurant again. Um, it was pretty hot and heavy, as OJ described. He later on said that I took a deep breath and turned to go, but paused to knock on the front door. I rapped on it twice, hard. Just to let them know what they'd been they'd been seeing. Huh. Like like just kind what of like that I mean that is just that is stalking one on one. You say Exactly say, and say, I, I get driving by their house because if your kids are there, I get that. Mm-hmm. But you went in there to see if she's sleeping, walked up to her window, peeped Tom on her personal space, and then interrupted her because what, you didn't feel like a god anymore because someone moved on from you right but but this is this is the crazy thing even though you think with the divorce and even with you know a situation like that nicole gets back with oj despite all this stuff and again that cycle like you said and we've talked about this in episode past where this this it's like it's it, it just continues it continues. It's a perfect example of the cycle. Mm-hmm. And then the last straw of this relationship would end after getting back together. Um, they were in a jacuzzi with OJ's lawyer and best friend Robert Kardashian. Which, if you think of it, Cam, didn't he really start the family tradition of getting black men off? <laughs> Terrible human. <laughs> uh, I'll be here Nobody all week. said that, um, I'm like, oh my God, that's really funny. <laughs> oh God, I'm, I made it funny. I made it funny. <laughs> 
so the the Simpsons were in a jacuzzi with uh, Robert Kardashian, and Nicole decided to leave the jacuzzi along with Kardashian and call it a night, leaving OJ with Kardashian's wife and the devil's favorite momager, Chris. And according to OJ's manager um, in the recently released documentary, Who Killed Nicole, OJ told the manager that he exposed himself to Chris and he proceeded to get in those guts so bad that she had to go to the hospital. And not only did this put a further strain into OJ and Nicole's relationship when they got back together, but it ended the Kardashians' marriage and it started a rift between OJ and Rod, but not much in the sense that he still ended up with just mind boggles me to know this. They still ended up defending him. That's and interesting that, because I didn't think the Kardashians divorced till after he murdered Nicole. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure everybody's denied that except for OJ. Yeah. And it's the... the, the, the he still the, made Khloe Kardashian. Yeah. You read, you read my mind. There's that rumor that he... Like, they, they had an affair and... Um, that. But, like, the thing is, like... I, I'm going to have to look at it when all these... I'm, I'm not a Kardashian fan, so I got to relook at when they were all born. Mm-hmm. To see this time he... Because you don't just... Unless you guys have already talked about it, you don't just fuck your best friend's wife while you mm-hmm. go to bed. Unless you guys talked about right. having a foursome or whatever. And mm-hmm. I just, and then he had Robert, if that happened, then why would Robert Kardashian then defend him after he murdered someone? Mm-hmm. I want to defend someone who, who quote unquote, fucked my wife while I walked away for five minutes. Exactly. But then there's another incident, there's another incident that happens, like, just months later, which is a much more serious, uh, and, um, this one, this is another example why, especially I, I feel like he did it. And in his book, he talks about this incident Mm -hmm. and I hope we can get that audio up because this is another example of OJ being aggressive. And like you're saying, that second incident came um, right before Halloween when Nicole called 911 on October 25th, 1993. She was crying and saying, he's going to beat the shit out of me. This audio, which was actually released during the murder trial of O.J. Simpson, is actually available online. And we'll put that and, up there for sure. So thanks for reminding me for that. But thank we will be putting that up there. Yeah. Um, you can clearly hear O.J. that for that point was a far cry from the image that the public saw. And let me tell you, there's not one thing in this audio that makes him sound like he's a good guy. And if you read his If I Did It book, he tries to defend that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's not acceptable. It's not acceptable as well. Right. And we will, we will definitely post that as well. And this confrontation apparently stemmed when they were on set of Naked Gun. Um, OJ received information from the body double of co-star Anna Nicole Smith. Yes that one that apparently Nicole is now out partying with a tough crowd doing illegal drugs becoming an addict and hanging out with hookers so what she got three two kids and apparently now she's being a hooker and a drug addict yeah and see he and he really and he really goes in further detail in that book and I don't know if this is one of those things that he's trying to uh, paint a picture of, I don't know, deniability or um, justification, if you will, to lead up to his hypothetical uh, uh, shenanigans. But 
Uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that he it's really hard to to take it at full, at, at, at full value, what he says. And, and it's unfortunate, too, because like you were saying, he's a good father to his kids and wants to protect his kids. Mm-hmm. But nowhere does it say that Nicole is ever a bad parent to the kids. From what I no, read, no, not she at all. She had the custody of the kids. So mm-hmm. for her to do all these drugs and all these things in front of the kids, as OJ claimed, um, wasn't a good look. But I, it's hard for me to believe that. Right. Um, but then again, this is OJ's word against someone who can't defend herself because she's dead. But if you can hear this audio, you can easily sense that Nicole's scared shitless. And it's not one of those where, according to OJ, if I did it book that, oh, she started the aggression. She started freaking out on me. It, she, she seems scared out of her mind. Mm-hmm. And even after this incident, the relationship would end for a second and final time. But nevertheless, fast forward eight months to June 12th, 1994, this is what y'all came for. In the eight months uh, preceding that 911 call, OJ seemingly moved on with a new girlfriend and still doing the things you expect OJ to do. Going to Chicago for a golf tournament for Hertz. And it was kind of odd. The irony in that is um, OJ, we were talking about the commercials. There's the famous Hertz commercial where... He's uh, missing. He's about. He's late at the airport, and he's missing his flight, and he's leaping over all these baggages and all this shit. But like that, of course, he's going for a Hertz golf tournament. So beforehand, he attended his daughter Sydney's recital with Nicole and her family, and afterwards, the family was going to have dinner at Mazalunas, the same restaurant owned by one of Nicole's alleges alleged lovers, the one that OJ was creepily watching them hook up. But OJ turned down the advice saying that he had a flight to catch. But we've been using OJ's book as a prime reference for this episode. And what follows is what the book says, If I Did It, where he gives uh, the hypothetical scenario of what happened next. And you folks decide for yourself so anyway cam um are you ready to do the damn thing i'm ready to do the damn thing so oj writes at exactly 10:03 p.m which is a very specific time he claimed an unfamiliar car slowed near his gate and it was his friend charlie mind you he doesn't know charlie's last name charlie so oj only met charlie a couple months earlier from mutual friends and I, um, and I told him what he told a lot of people, you know, Hey, stop by when you're in the neighborhood. And I guess he took it literally. Now, mind you, he doesn't go into detail on if Charlie has ever been at his house before. So trying to find his house and being coincidentally in the neighborhood's a little weird. So according to OJ, I guess Charlie, my good friend that I don't know the last name to took it seriously. Mm-hmm. Now picture this and keep in mind, OJ says, this is hypothetical. Charlie, his friend he's only known for a couple months, who he doesn't know the last name to, reached the gate, and the first thing I noticed is he wasn't smiling, mm-hmm. which you must be a pretty good friend to know that something's up. And he immediately says, it was Nicole and her friend Faye. OJ immediately says, I'm listening. And he continues in this book that he tried to stay, stay calm, but he was fit to explode. 
According to this Charlie, who OJ met a couple months prior, never even said if Charlie's ever met Nicole, but beyond that, Charlie says there were a lot of drugs and a lot of drinking, and apparently things got pretty kinky. So one, I'm not sure how Charlie knows that. I don't know how Charlie knows where OJ lives, and I don't know how Charlie knows who Nicole is or where she lives. Yeah. After saying that, and I don't know how he knows these steps, because I don't know, how is he there the whole time? Mm-hmm. So as soon as he says this, uh, OJ hollered, why are you fucking telling me this, man? And he turned, OJ quotes that I turned and had to fight the urge to put my fist through the Bentley's window. So immediately he's getting angry and upset because Nicole seemingly has moved on, has seemingly decided to do her own life. And immediately Charlie said, I'm sorry, man, I thought you want to know. OJ continues saying, well, I don't fucking want to know. Yet he's openly admitting that he got angry after hearing about this. He continues saying, I'm sick of hearing this shit. And... Immediately, Charlie says sorry, but before he can finish, supposedly, OJ says, that's the mother of my children, which, you're right, it is. So, how dare you assume you can tell her what she can and what she can't mm-hmm. do? And, and um, before we record, I, 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 I asked him, um, if you do something hypothetical, is it kind of, it, it kind of takes you out of that hypothetical realm when you say shit like, I noticed and I remembered? Like, that doesn't, and you say shit like 10.03, like, that's... Three specific times. It's like saying, oh, we went here at 10.05 and went to the movie at 10.15, then did this at 10.20. It's like, why do you know these itty-bitty details? And even if Nicole was snorting cocaine off a stripper's ass, Mm -hmm. it's none of his fucking business. She's not doing it in front of the kids. She's not doing it at her, while the kids are at home. So, seemingly, he moved on with a new girl, girlfriend. Sorry, Nicole moved on, and you don't like that. Don't like that. Mm-hmm. So, so OJ and Charlie hopped onto into OJ's Ford Bronco and strolled onto Nicole's apartment. And OJ is incensed, thinking that another man is with Nicole while his kids are there. <laughs> She was. Who fucking cares? You're divorced. Exactly. And again, he it's one of those things we said earlier. OJ seemingly moved on. He had a new girlfriend. But again, it's just it, it kind of confuses me because he to kind of put a background on the, the few weeks preceding this, he had said that OJ he said that Nicole was trying to get back with him and he was trying to move back in and trying to start the like it, it Kind of was I very, thought, yeah. Yeah, somewhere I thought they went on vacation together with the Kardashians, mm-hmm. um, who were still together. Right. So. so it's very, like I said, the, the timeline is just very, um, depending on what you believe, it's very, very kind of like, oh, okay. It's not a lot of, not a lot of shit in sync. But there's a lot of. Um, you know, a lot of people now focus on the abuse cycle and mm-hmm. the honeymoon cycle. And there's a lot of red flags that are showing the abuse cycle. When you're in the abuse cycle, it doesn't get less. It gets worse progressively. Yeah. Um, and this is a prime example of it. So it's very hard for me to believe anything other 
So, so according to OJ in a book, he reached into the back seat for his blue wool cap and his gloves, which he used as golfing equipment, and he put them on. And Charlie would say, what the fuck are you doing, man? You look like a burglar. Good, OJ replied. He said he reached Bye. under the seat for his knife, and it was very a very nice knife, he would say, a limited edition. And he said that he kept it for the crazies, because he said Los Angeles is full of crazies, quote-unquote. Uh, and he was like, nice, huh? He said, Why is he Charlie. pulling it out? Why is he putting this shit on if he's going to talk to her? So he would say that, uh, um, funny that you say that, he would say that he wanted to do it to scare them. Uh, to scare, scare oh, them? scare Nicole. Which again, I just, I guess Why? that story when Why Charlie told him, he's probably over the edge. And he said, these are very, very great point of questions like so territorial oh she moved on she's with someone else Mm -hmm. well i'm going to burglarize her house so she's terrified and has to come live with me that's right that's so so he said nice huh he said showing to charlie his knife and and, and said check out that blade and charlie snapped put that shit back you go in there and talk to the girl if you have to but you're not taking goddamn knife with you he snatched it out of the hand out of my hand, pissed. You've got to learn how to relax, Charlie, OJ had said. And then he opened the door, got out of the Bronco, and stole across the alley to Nicole's apartment. And there went, according to OJ, quote-unquote, a guy came walking in like he owned the fucking place. He saw me and froze. He was young and good-looking with a thick head of black hair. And when I tried to place him, I'd never seen him before. And I didn't even know his name, which would reveal to be Ron Goldman. So firstly, why does he say, oh, he came walking through like he owned the place? What makes you yeah. think he was... Why I mean, he just be with a straight head on his shoulder? So immediately, he's already aggressive mm-hmm. and trying to attack someone. Which leads into OJ immediately going, who the fuck are you? And Ronnie immediately said, I, uh, I just came by to return a pair of gl- glasses, Goldman replied, stammering. Immediately, OJ goes, really? A pair of glasses, huh? And as prior, Goldman just said yes. He was carrying an envelope as well. And he said, Julie, Judy left them at the restaurant. I'm, Judy, who I'm was Nicole's mother. And Judy was, was it um, Nicole's mom? Yep. Yep. And he just was said, I'm a waiter at Mezzaluna. Immediately, OJ seemed fishy. goes, so it's Judy, is it? You're on a first-name basis with Judy? And at that moment, moment, supposedly, the gate behind Goldman squeaked. And Charlie walked into the narrow space. And he was carrying the knife. Why would he carry the knife? So he said, OJ, don't be a psycho. Don't carry the knife. You're acting out. Why are you acting like and that? And he comes but out to he, carry the knife. That is but just, now carrying the knife. That makes no sense. It makes no sense. You would hide that shit. That just, again, he's saying hypothetically. That is just, that makes no sense. At all. I, yeah, I, mean, I read in there, I, 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 I went in here reading, trying to, not to give, I don't know, maybe to give OJ the benefit of the doubt with this hypothetical scenario, but when you say this man had to pry the knife out of your hand because you're trying to talk sense, what sense does it make for you to come there with an already incensed man to give him that firepower to potentially, not even potentially, but if he says, when he says in hypothetical speaking, to do what he does, that makes no fucking sense whatsoever, Cam. 
this is where it starts to confuse me. He openly admits to going to her house right. with this Charlie who never appears again. Charlie just disappears off the face of the planet, mind Charlie. you. Goes there after his friend Charlie, who you never see again, mm-hmm. says that Nicole's done all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, once there, a waiter, being a kind waiter, is returning something that somebody forgot. Mm-hmm. And OJ, first off, OJ's going in there looking like a burglar because he quote-unquote wants to scare Nicole. And Charlie, who we don't know who is, calls him on his bullshit, but then wants to be the macho man to kill someone? No. Mm-hmm. That, that's not how people work. People don't say, hey, give me this knife. I want to kill him. That's, right. And before, that's we, and before we end, we want to, I guess, try to to throw straws or gasp at straws to see who Charlie was, um, whether that was somebody he knew or whether it was, a, uh, I guess, a figment of his imagination because, um, I'm not going to say it now, because... I guess, you know, OJ wants to have that image of, okay, he wants to see the good in him. Oh, uh, Charlie represents the the OJ that the public knew, the image. The, the, squeaky, the squeaky clean, all-American, you know, the celebrity, uber celebrity, and who does the right things, you know, who is his role model, and trying to, you know, do, trying to de-escalate the situation with the knife. Put it down, you don't need that, I'm trying to be... The, the Good Samaritan, and then OJ, OJ would say, with this Charlie, this is, this is him, full, you know, the OJ who abused his wife, the OJ that you heard in that 911 call, the OJ who fucks his best friend wife, first friend's wife, who's territorial, territorial. And there's nothing and, in what we've talked about or the book. That mm-hmm. makes him sound like he's the good guy. Again, we weren't there when he was OJ, the king of the century. Mm-hmm. But from what this evidence shows, uh, he did it. Yeah. That is all. And I, I'm sorry, but there's far too many factors. You don't just jump in the car with somebody who you quote unquote met for three months, who you don't know their last name. Charlie. claim, and this is back to him living two lives, is this Charlie your your other personality? Mm-hmm. Because from what it seems like, it seems like um, you might have multiple personalities. Mm-hmm. And what's unfortunate is literally everybody's like, oh yeah, it's OJ, but that's okay. Yeah, It's fine. Oh no, he openly admitted to bruising her, mm-hmm. but it's fine, it's OJ. No, it's not. It's never okay. I don't care who you think you are. It is never okay on either side of the spectrum to do that. Right. And the fact, too, that he had the nerve to be like, oh, well, I wanted to scare her, but yeah. Charlie said I shouldn't, but Charlie now comes wants to. Comes out no, no, no. with the knife. Like what kind of guy comes to somebody's apartment with a knife you've never met, comes with a knife, a, a limited edition knife that's with a, a very pointed blade at that? Like, that is just the recipe for a already hot situation to just explode. Mm-hmm. So, and here's the best part is that, again, there's proof of him being aggressive and violent. Mm-hmm. And there's audio evidence of him being aggressive and right. violent. There's also pictures of him. Yet nobody cares because it was O.J. Simpson. Mm-hmm. So It's like, it's like how people now, Trump does whatever he wants, and people now are like, well, it's, it's okay, it's Trump. No, it's not. It's not. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so Charlie walks into this narrow space, and he's carrying the knife, 
And he says, everything cool here. He said, I just saw this guy walking through the gate, and I just wanted to make sure there wasn't going to be any trouble. And OJ would say, this motherfucker wants me to believe that he's here dropping off a pair of Judy's glasses. And Goldman would respond to say, I am. And then OJ would say he was appearing increasingly nervous. Yeah, I would bet a six foot one, 200 plus man with a with an acquaintance with a knife. Uh, air quote acquaintance knife. I would imagine that I wouldn't be nervous. But as all this happens, Charlie comes... That's OJ says. Charlie comes with a knife in his hand, and Nicole comes outside and hears all this commotion, and then things just take a turn for the worse. I have a question. Yeah. Um, how tall is Gold? Do you, did they say how tall Goldman was? Um. Well, it sure, shit wasn't five, uh, six foot one, two hundred pounds. So, what I'm seeing, like, what I find funny is a lot of people say, "Well, Goldman was a black belt in karate." Yeah, and, right. and we will. But when there's a man who is twice my size with a mm-hmm. knife, it's very hard to um, subdue someone with your hands when he's literally stabbing you to death. Yeah, this that's that's that that's the Hollywood shit. Like that's no, yeah. this is real life. So Nicole lunches it comes out and she lunches at OJ swinging. Get the fuck out of here! This is my house and I can do what I want. And OJ would say, "Not in front of my kids, you can't." Fuck you, she said. No, fuck you. I gave you everything you could ask for, and you fucked it all up. And OJ alleged that he ducked, and she lost her balance, and she fell against the stoop. And he would claim that she fell hard on her right side, and she said he said he could hear the back of her head hitting the ground and laying there for a moment, not moving. And Charlie would say, his voice cracking, Jesus Christ, OJ, let's just get the fuck out of here. And he looked over at the Goldman, and OJ said he was fuming, and he said, guess... He thought that he was going to hit him because OJ described that uh, Goldman got into, quote-unquote, his little karate stance. And he said, what the fuck is that? You think you can take me with your little karate shit? He started, uh, OJ said that Goldman started circling him, bobbing and weaving. And he said, if I hadn't been so fucking angry, I would have laughed at him. OJ, come on, Charlie said, pleading. And so cold- here's Charlie twice trying to minimize the situation and leave. Mm-hmm. I just get it. it just it's just one of those things is that is 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 that the figment of the imagination saying the best of him, the altruistic side of saying this is, you know, I'm trying to be the savior here. I'm trying to be the good guy, trying to, you know, to stop this for for for, for getting even worse. But Nicole Moan regaining consciousness and she's and she started on the ground and opened her eyes and looked at me, but it didn't seem like anything was registering. And Charlie, again, walked over and planted himself in front of me, blocking my view. We are fucking done here, man. Let's go. And I noticed, he, OJ says, I noticed the knife in Charlie's hand. And in one deft move, I removed my right glove. <clears throat> Emphasis on the right glove. And snatched it up. We are not going anywhere, he said, turning to face Goldman. Goldman was still circling me, bobbing and weaving, but I didn't feel like laughing anymore. You think you're tough, motherfucker, he said. With Charlie pleading him and OJ disregards him and says, okay, motherfucker, show me how tough you are. So it's very hard um, to hypothetically um, remember all these conversations, all these things and everything. Um, I don't know why he's so upset about this guy who was returning glasses, Mm -hmm. even if he was... 
having sex with Nicole. He was returning glasses and literally did nothing. And now OJ begins to write that something went horribly wrong. And what a surprise. He continues and says, I know it happened, but I can't tell you exactly how. He literally says this happened. Nowhere does he say if I did it. He literally says He's he like, did it. I, I know what happened, but I, I can't tell you exactly I, how. But this is what happened. Nicole had been stabbed seven times in the neck and the scalp. Had a fi- five and a half inch, inch long gash across her throat, which had severed both her left and right carotid arteries and breached her right and left jugular veins she looks decapitating the wound on brown's neck was so severe it had penetrated depth of almost an inch long into her cervical vertebrae nearly like i was saying decapitating her mm-hmm. so this is this is an angry attack Again, yeah, she, also defense, she also had defense wounds on her hands so she was trying trying to protect herself along with Goldman being stabbed to death with her, on the walkway leading to the condominium they were left. And as stated, I was forced, but for a few minutes, how I arrived, or even why I was there, and then it all came back to me very slowly. The recital, with little Sydney up on stage, dancing her little heart out, me, Chipping balls in my neighbor's yard. Paula, angry, not answering her phone. Charlie stopping by the house, telling me some more ugly shit about Nicole's behavior. Then what? The short, quick drive from Rockingham to Bundy Condo? And now? Now I'm standing in Nicole's dark courtyard, in the dark, listening to the loud, rhythmic, accelerated beating of my own heart. I put my left hand to my heart, and my shirt felt strangely wet. I looked at myself... And for several moments, I couldn't get my mind around what I was seeing. Mind you, you guys haven't seen Charlie. The whole front of me was covered in blood, but it didn't compute. Is this really blood? OJ even said he wondered, and he didn't even know whose blood it was. Is it mine? Am I hurt? Mind you, OJ is writing this word for word. Yeah. So it's very hard for me to continue to believe that OJ did it, and you know, I like the theory that the mob was involved in this, mm-hmm. but OJ literally says he was there when it happened. Right. Literally said he was there. Yeah, and, and um, and we'll we'll really go in part two when we do part two tomorrow. We're really gonna go into which is gonna be a lot on the aftermath. We we mentioned the Ford Bronco. We'll talk about the famous chase. We'll talk about the subsequent trial of the century, and we'll talk about the verdict, and we'll talk about the aftermath, and we'll talk about um, theories of who else may, I think it's really hard to kind of think of, like, who else may have done it. When, when somebody is that so descriptive, and and it's, it's very hard. See, I had a theory, and who knows, and I still think there is some kind of... Uh, uh, inkling of truth to it that his son Jason was involved in the murder and this theory I think it was always like at least squirming on the internet mm-hmm. uh, one of those conspiracy theories right but and that's the thing and again OJ is we've mentioned throughout this episode OJ is 6 foot 1 200 pounds so 
Uh, that's a big and man. It's pure muscle. Pure mm-hmm. muscle. What? And here's the thing. OJ at that point was 46, 47 years old. He had suffered from arthritis, and his knees and body had been ravaged by the NFL. So, for anybody who wants to be the devil's advocate, it could, you know, it could be that okay. Well, Ron Goldman, even though he's half his age and probably half his size. You know, he is a third-degree black belt, so it's and when he was uh, stripped naked by the LAPD, OJ didn't have any bruising on his body, and all he had was the small nut, small cut on his knuckle. Now, um, again, we will talk about that little cut more in detail in the second part. But um, he had said that um, when he went to Chicago, and so he took a he took a flight. After all this happens, he takes a flight, red-eyed to Chicago, and goes to his hotel. And when the LAPD calls him from his hotel room the following morning and tells him that his wife uh, wife had died. And you know what he said after that, uh, uh, Cam? After they told him that, what was his question? Um, How was she murdered? So, like... Couldn't be like a car accident. Couldn't be like okay, she had a heart attack, or probably young because she's only thirty four, thirty five. Why couldn't she yeah, have a heart attack? Or drug or overdose, or like just you know, she the first thing comes to your mind. Oh, she was murdered immediately. And so, here's the best part: you forgot to add when he mm-hmm. was in the process of going to right. Chicago. His taxi driver had a knock on his door multiple of times before he came mm-hmm. to the door. But, and his excuse was, oh, I, I overslept. Mm-hmm. It, my my thing with that is, it's not like O.J. Simpson's like us, where we fucking oversleep sometimes. O.J.'s a professional athlete. Right. Wakes up and does this shit for a living. So for him mm-hmm. to say he overslept is, it's far too premeditated. Right. So they, that, that so in, um, in the book that, uh, that, we had, um, the, what was it, the book, uh, do you have the name of it? Um, the, the, the theory. Uh, it's like a really long fucking, I don't know why it's so long. Hold on, I got it. Hold on, pulling it up. Um, OJ Simpson is innocent and I can prove it. There by William go. C. Deer. There we go, there we go. So, according to former detective, um, uh, and true crime author uh, William C. Deere, and this is his theories that he believes that um, Jason Simpson, OJ's son, was responsible. Um, again, OJ was stripped naked by the LAPD and had zero bruising on his body, as we said earlier. And again, now you can either look at it two ways: with the people who think he did it, and it it, it, it really looks to me that he did, but. It looked that, okay, even though Ron Roman is a third-degree black belt, you're going against a big-ass motherfucker like OJ. But then to the people who have the plausibility of, okay, maybe okay, maybe it was OJ if somebody else. Again, when you're 46 and this is the NFL, you, you're a former football player, and we talk about TTE, we talk about arthritis and body being ravaged, you know, there could there are those people who believe that it's unlikely that he couldn't got in a full fledged fight with a martial artist and have no bruising at all. So that's the first theory. 
Um, the reason I should say. I do find it interesting mm-hmm. because Oakley was a football star during the time where it was okay to smash each other's heads. It was okay to beat each other up. Where right. Now that we're older, we see that it got long-term effects. We have mm-hmm. football players that become aggressive. We have football players that commit suicide because of all the pain that they have. And it's right. interesting to see if that played a role or not. Mm-hmm. But then here's the thing, and it's really leaking, leading uh, as theory according to... Um, and according to the author, um, he said that Jason Simpson had a criminal record. And not only that, Kim, a violent criminal record of that, because he had almost killed an ex-girlfriend with a knife, believe it or hmm. not. And, and you guys, you can find, you can find this shit. Yeah, you can find this shit on the internet. Um, assaulted another girlfriend and came after his boss with a kitchen knife. And he was trained in hand-to-hand combat as well as field knife training while attending the Army and Navy Academy. Hmm. I wonder where he gets these um, ideas from. I don't know, maybe his father, who also had a criminal background for being aggressive and violent. Mm-hmm. That's all. And Which also, is fine, I get it. Also, He's got... It was, report, it was reported by... Oh, boy, I just had the author's name. I was just doing really good. But according to the author, it was documented that Jason had been diagnosed with rage disorder and is commonly known as Jekyll, Jekyll and Hyde Syndrome. And he had been known to black out, hear voices, and just go crazy. And he was actually committed to the hospital several times. And there is a picture on the internet where he there is a um, the Bicote prescription bottle. And that treats for, you know, that rage order. So, wow. I find it interesting, too, because from what we just discussed about... Um, Mm-hmm. is he just blacked out. Right. And he seems to have these similar symptoms. But it's okay because he's the biggest guy of the century. So it's O.J. Simpson. Nobody's going to pay attention to him. Mm-hmm. But nobody's paying attention to his son, which... He, you know, and that's something we'll all discuss tomorrow. Too. Right. So, and, we have a lot, a lot to discuss. Mm-hmm. And during the LAPD's, like, the, the, the investigation on the scene, they found three different DNAs. Um, Nicole Simpson, Ron Goldman, and something that appeared to match as O.J. Simpson. But, uh, and this is something that you can attest to, Karen, with, like, all the shit with ancestry match and like solving all these these murders and shit where like the dna's from from, there's a lot of things with familial matches especially with like father and sons and like uncles and cousins and that what nature where like that dna is virtually the same Uh so the cops had found a knit cat with hairs from a black male and a dog and oj didn't have a dog and then wear knit hats but jason wore knit hats often and had a dog, and there's a picture online with Jason with a knit hat and a dog. And DNA was found under Nicole's fingernails, but didn't match OJ's, but never tested it against Jason's DNA. So, this makes you wonder. It makes you wonder. I, that's what makes me question a little bit. It's like, okay, well, mm-hmm. did they test the DNA and just figure out the blood type? Did they test the DNA and figure out that it, in fact, isn't OJ's, but it's of a close relative? Right. And here's the thing, again, Nicole or Goldman can't attest for it because they're not there. And it's 
it's hard for me to believe it's Jason, but again, we'll discuss that all. And, mm-hmm. and, and probably the more damning theory that uh, is offered in this book is that no one knew where Jason was at the time of killing. He was a chef uh, at a local restaurant, and the time card for his uh, job was handwritten, even though the automatic machine was working. And he wasn't unaccounted for it during those times in question at 10 o'clock. And he was, as Cam said earlier in the episode, he had a very love-hate, volatile relationship with his stepmother, Nicole. In fact, he was upset that Nicole did not choose to have the the family dinner at the restaurant where he was working in. So, See, and, I, and again, I get that. I get why people may think it's him. Mm-hmm. But the way Nicole and this guy was attacked right. is a personal but, level. It's so much more than, you know, the hatred you have for your stepmom. Would mm-hmm. Jason even attack this random other guy for no reason? Or right. would he just go after his his mom but this is what i think there i I think it might uh there's a theory that charlie was oj was actually oj i know we said that um before a few minutes ago the oj the the good of oj but the killer was in fact jason and oj knew like i think oj if anything oj is going to be guilty of is accessory after the fact of covering up and that's still pretty damn serious charge. So, he may not, according to people who um, think that Jason Simpson, his son, was the killer, that, okay, O.J. was Simpson, but he's not totally innocent. If he knows, and he, um, and according to this book, he had hired, uh, O.J. hired a criminal defense lawyer for Jason. And this was only days after the murder. So, I mean... Again, this is the you can find this book. Um, OJ is innocent, and I can prove it by William C. Deere. This book came out in 2000, 2012, I believe. But uh, I think so. it it makes you wonder. Again, we're gonna go, uh, and we don't want to get in a rabbit hole because I'm again these. It, it it's the way we said earlier, the way how OJ was so descriptive in these murders, uh, describing hypothetically and saying, I recall. He was there at the crime scene. Now, whether he was the one on the end with the knife or if he was Charlie and Jason or somebody else he knew, remains to be seen. But, wow. There's a lot of, and we, we will go into as well that, per usual, the police did not handle this murder scene correctly. No. no. And that's a big reason why they didn't look at anybody else. They mm-hmm. didn't. They didn't even correctly, you know, do the entire crime scene, yes. and we'll go into detail about that as and, well. And, and before we and before we ride off in the sunset uh, for um, part one, at the end of part one, I was contacted by uh, someone on Facebook when we made the post on um, we made the post on Facebook uh, again. T plug, follow us on Illinois Bird and Cam. And uh-huh. he want he said um I actually I actually worked uh in in the field of DNA in the nineties during that time in California and he mentioned two other people um I don't want to put his name out there just to out him or anything so yeah, he did yet. say he did say that um 
they had tested uh wait shooting or the shooting outside um he did t- say that they tested DNA and that he believes you're according to the DNA that it was Jason Simpson he believes that Jason Simpson according to DNA murdered Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman it was not OJ so if you're in huh. California and you're in that you know in that realm and you're working there and I guess they kind of like with the evidence they it was kind of, you know, whisked, whisked away or looked down upon. So, I mean, it just, you think something like this is black and white. But, Go on. Uh-huh, but, but yeah, it's, it's something that's black and white, but then there's that gray. And um, I, I'll say this. One thing I get from OJ is he's a lot of things. Narcissistic. He's a cheater. He's a serial abuser. But he loved his kids, and it was also known that he was squeamish to blood, and that he and his son had the same blood type, and was never again. It was never tested for DNA. And there's a part of me that thinks, Cam, that OJ loved his son enough that he was willing to take the rap for him. But arguing to your point and rereading, if I did it, if someone again were to tell me a hypothetical scenario, it makes it hard for me, the audience, to think it's hypothetical when the person's telling me the scenario saying shit like I remembered and I recalled. So it just, and hey, for all we know you're right. Charlie may could have been Jason. It could have been both of them, mm-hmm. but I do think OJ was there. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's well, but if he's the killer, or not remains to be seen and we may right, never, yeah. never know. But, um, again, guys, thank you so much. Uh, this is part one of OJ Simpson and part two. William will, and talk about the chase. We'll talk about everything that happened with the trial and the aftermath. And I guess recent, well, recent as to a week, um, he did a um, interview with the Associated Press last week. And now we talk about that, and we'll talk about Twitter because he just started Twitter. So like, and he's he has two videos, and it's pretty much broken the internet. So. This is still a very relevant, you know, story. He's still I mean. known as O.J. Simpson, and I don't think it's because he's the all-star anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, um, wow, this is, uh, we've been recording for nearly 90 minutes. Um, yeah. Uh, where can they reach you on social media, dear? Uh- you can guys can hit me up on Instagram at Instacam six three zero. You guys can hit me up on the Twitter at I like stuff six three zero. And then finally, if you can find Alex Camp on um, Facebook, you can find Cam. Your turn, Boo thing. Oh, oh, well, you. I mean, you you already got like a third of the way there, so I was like, you might as well finish it out. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, Your turn. <laughs> thank you, my love. You can find me on Facebook, as she, as Cam said, on Alex Camp. You can find me on the Twitter, on uh, Birdman for America, and you can find me on the ground with Insta. With I almost said Insta uh, Cam, but that's not me. <laughs> it's Bird underscore Your Enthusiasm. Bird underscore Your underscore Enthusiasm, and you can find our group uh, page on Killinois with Burden Cam on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram with Killinois Podcast. You can find our personal Facebook uh, profile on K-Pod. 
um, our Spawn Devil Child. Uh, and you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. We'll be providing those links as soon as we get this uh, posted. We will be back tomorrow. Um, I'll be in St. Louis, so who knows? We probably might be drunk while I might be drunk. Um, yeah, I was like, I got work the following day. Yeah, so she's going to be responsible when she's going to be the one having to pull the reins and uh, <laughs> God, God save Cam on that one. So, um, guys, thank you so much. Uh, this is part one of OJ Simpson. We will be back with that ass tomorrow. This is Killinois for Cam. This is Bird telling you, be there or be or killed. Be killed, bitches.